Welcome to episode 32 of the Crownsman Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Downey. My co-host is Gaudi Molina. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Good. You, uh, you ready to dig into some, I guess it'd be transportation. It's sort of the transportation section of our show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have today, we have uh, Cleo Landucci. I don't know why I just... You were I psyched, afraid. You I were psyched afraid. myself out yeah. when I'm doing this. Cleo Landucci. You yeah. were just afraid that you were going to get wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and usually I do. Yeah. Um, uh, from Ashcroft Term- Terminal, which is a member of the PSA group. Um, and we'll get into a little bit of show, a uh, little bit more in, on the show with yeah. Cleo, what that, uh, what that means that, um, you know, PSA coming in and purchasing uh, a portion of the company and everything yeah. like that. Um, and... Before we do that, we have to give a shout out to sponsors That's because right. we can't we do, need the them to do the show without our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> so most of them have been guests. You notice that yeah, a lot of the sponsors. It's, it's funny how that yeah. works. Okay. Alrighty. So we will start off with um, Data Cloud. Does it feel like you're drilling and blasting blind? Could your MWD measurements be better? The Data Cloud platform shows your lithology changes in real time for better blasting and fragmentation profiles. Check out their IoT sensors and cloud computing platform at datacloud.com and learn how you can know your rock today. We've also got um, our specials. Oh, yeah. So I will let you kind of give a little Lay bit that about out. that. Yeah. I think I can do it in 30 seconds. Let's, I just let's do it. take too I'm long counting. to explain things. Um, okay. The specials. Uh, what we did is we have this show, we have sponsors, we have mm-hmm. guests co- come on. And on the show, I should clarify, guests always are coming on for free. They're a guest on this yes. show, and, and we try to educate the audience. But we also realize that, that a lot of the, the guests coming on the show and other people, um, you know, I just had a safety company reach out, and it's not quite a good fit for the show, you know, things like that. Um, but if they have products they want to promote, and our our um, audience is interested in their products because mm-hmm. it's part of the industry. So we're doing specials, which are the shorter version of the show. So it's you know a 22-minute special with one-on-one interview in a different studio, and then they can promote their product and bring in like a lot of the products that we'd be promoting will have an engineering element to it. So they'll actually be able to unpackage for the audience where the advantage is. We're actually doing a couple of them. Uh, starting next week. So we'll have some examples. We'll put some links so you kind of see what you're getting. But it's a great service. And with that, let's move on to the show. Let's do it. Okay. Cleo, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's exciting. There's uh, I, I grew up around that area. Um, I played hockey in Ashcroft and the whole deal, actually. So um, ironically, growing up, I didn't know that Ashcroft Terminal was there. Well, <laughs> uh, that's what we hear from a lot of folks, but it's nice to know that you know where it is, and we even have people ask us uh, where Ashcroft Terminal is, what part of the country. So right. it's nice to get clarity that we're in the inland of BC, and we're about a three-and-a-half-hour drive from Vancouver, as you well know, but just to get that clarification, and I think we've got some maps we can go through, but yeah, where you will. grew up is what we can yeah, do. Yeah, go with that. Yeah. The audience go, we don't know where you grew up. <laughs> um, um, it's a, but Ashcroft Terminal is actually one of the. It's probably one of the larger employment uh, companies in that er- in that area, wouldn't it be? Yeah, the village of Ashcroft has a population of about sixteen hundred, and um, so oh. obviously having a, a, an employer, we have about uh, thirty-seven people in our company now. Uh, we've grown significantly. We've added fifteen people over the last twelve months. Uh, so we're pretty excited about some of the growth plans that we have and how we're going to work closely with the community and and the kind of benefits that that brings to have uh, vibrant, smart, hardworking people come in to the community or look within. Obviously, is what we always do first when we look to to um, attract good talent so it's uh it's it's a lot of fun as a as a byproduct of our growth and there's more expansion that's happening now we'll get into that later in the show so that's going to continue to grow it right it is yeah, yeah it is what um uh, just so the audience has an understanding of of ashcroft terminal what uh what is all included in that what are the services and and that you're doing in that area so uh firstly the it's it's all sort of predicated on the uniqueness of our location. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're the only location in the country with both of the class one main lines that pass directly through us. So we have both CP and CN uh, main lines that pass directly through our site. We have 320 acres of industrial land 
and we also own 350 acres of agricultural buffer land up the side of the mountains. Oh. So on the site, that allows us to do some things. Um, we, we have basically three services that we offer. Uh, firstly, we, for a variety of clients, we, we do transloading where we transload products. So we service all sectors of the natural resource industries where we'll transload product either from truck to rail car or rail car to truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do fleet management. Uh, we call it fleet management. Under that, we do rail car storage. So we provide a, a location for uh, terminal users and shippers and customers to uh, be a surge supply solution to manage their logistics flow of their own private rail car fleet. Um, we are adding on some, some additional services around the repairs and cleaning. Those are all part of our growth plan. The third segment of our business is the intermodal business, where um, we will be expanding um, very shortly into the into the container business. So, so we're we're really focused on a diversified product offering, service offering, and um, across all sectors of natural resource. So, we our our focus is as a diversified logistics hub. Right. When you say the the containers. Um like the the transloading the con- you must already transload the containers. We right? don't do any containers on site oh. now. So we've done a couple of trial programs, um, but really it's about looking at our the way that British Columbia and Western Canada exports product. Um, they will truck typically products down to the lower mainland for transloading in containers in a very congested, very expensive industrial land mm. uh, zone. Um, and they had to just pass by our door. So we look to uh, capture some of that traffic, be able to create efficiency for the producer. Obviously, the more efficient they can be, the lower their costs. Um, convert as much rubber tire moves into steel moves. Mm-hmm. So take that traffic off trucks and put it into rail in a more efficient supply chain. I'm oversimplifying. There's a lot of complexities around the the export container moves, and then we'll do the reverse on the import side. So that's bringing in containers and doing that transloading function that importers require. Yeah, that uh, the, the curious side of me is I, 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 I guess I made the assumption that with the at that site there would be all like, you know, lumber and, and that sort of thing getting transported and the containers would just be part of it. So what is the main, what's the, the sort of the distinction between the two of, like is it a different type of challenges, different type of equipment when you're trying, when you're doing container offloading as opposed to, you know, lumber or things like that? Um, well, th- it's a great, those are, that's a great question and there's lots of different, you've opened up a great discussion. Uh, we do, just to clarify, we do do forestry product transloading today, but that is uh, typically a domestic destined product. So that will go on to a center beam rail car or a box car. So that will come in by truck depending on the product and it'll get transloaded at our site today into one of those two types of rail cars. Right. If that's the case, that's a, a North America, that's a, when I say domestic, I mean U.S. destined or um, uh, beyond Vancouver, B.C., but typically U.S. destined forestry uh, locations. So if you look at our forestry sector and you look at the exports versus um, overseas versus what goes on into the U.S., it's uh, roughly depending, but it's roughly... Uh, you know, it can be anywhere between 40, 60, uh, 30, 70, d- depending on the product mm-hmm. and the sector and, and what's going on with trade disputes. So so we continue to see that bulk move. Um, when we look at converting that truck traffic that was overseas destined product into containers, there's a bunch of other elements that have to work out. So uh, you I have see. to get uh, containers. So you work with the various shipping lines, you work with the rail service providers and you have to, you know, we're disrupting the flow of how goods have been moving. So it's just taken a little longer to get that going, but we're, we're excited to be able to add the infrastructure that we need here in the very short term to be able to service, service that service offering in that market. Yeah. I guess it's one of those things that you just assume it works, but yeah, now I get it. If there's, there's different, completely different types of transport systems like cars to be able to transport lumber or containers and that's you need all that 
that space to be able to move everything around and, and everything like that as well, right? Yeah, we have the space. So we certainly have the space. We yeah. need some infrastructure. Uh, we need some further warehousing that we're, you know, we'll get into about what we're building now and what we'll build, be building in subsequent phases of our growth. Um, we need to ensure that we're working really closely with our, our rail service provider to make sure that uh, whatever the move is to drop off and pick up containers is as efficient mm -hmm. as possible for their um, objectives, which are always, you know, train speeds, um, making sure that it's a hook and haul, um, and, and how we work with the railroad. That is our business. We're in the railroad business. We have to make sure that everything we add, it makes them more efficient. And then the shipper, the customer benefits. Yeah. Um, I want to get into a little <coughs> bit about the, the infrastructure because it's quite a project that you've developed, uh, that you're developing there. What, what sort of, what is being, uh, what, what new infrastructure is being put in place? Right now, yeah. I think, we, I think we have some slides actually, or or, or the plan of it, don't sure, we? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so we've been adding uh, since we purchased the property in two thousand and four. Uh, we we were a family owned business, and we added when we when we bought the the site, there was only two thousand feet of track off the CP mainline. So again, uh, you know, the significance of having both main lines run through us is that every single train, every single piece of product coming in and out of the lower mainland and all of the uh, terminals and ports on the marine side down here in Vancouver um, and Delta, they all have to pass through Ashcroft Terminal in order to get into North America. And that's the only one in, in the interior? It's right? the only location we're aware of on private property where both CP and CN main lines pass directly through. And these are main lines. So again, every single train coming in and out of Vancouver has to pass through us. So um, that's fine. It passes through you. What are you going to do about it? And so when we purchased the property, there was about 2,000 feet of track with a small amount of transloading, very, very small. Um, we continued to build it to figure out what the heck to do. Uh, we had a vision. My father had a vision. Um, tried to figure out the industry, how to how how we can we add value to producers' supply chains. That was the premise for, you know, the investment was trying to keep our forestry producers and subsequently all other natural resource producers in Canada. Uh, keep their costs down, give them control of their costs as much as possible in the supply chain. And, you know, no offense to the the, the forestry operations in, in other parts of the world, like Chile and South America, but before another mill goes down, somewhere in, it better not be in, in British Columbia and Canada. Mm -hmm. It better be somewhere else. And in order to do that, we better be competitive. Yeah. And so a bit altruistic, perhaps, but as entrepreneurs, we, that was, that was our understanding and the need in the, in the industry was to reduce those costs. That's a long uh, 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 tangent to go back to your question around what we're building, but I think it's important as to... It is, yeah. So when we <coughs> added on uh, with some funding support uh, at the in uh, March of 2014, we made an announcement. Uh, we, had, we had been successful in uh, some a funding application to the federal government at that time under a capital basket that they had through the Asia-Pacific Gateway Corridor Initiative, right, yeah. very, very important initiative to look at increasing capacity to facilitate trade. Uh, we did a matching grant, so uh, we built uh, uh, about 30,000 feet of track at that time off the CP main, so that was in addition to the 2,000 that was existing. You added 30,000 to 2,000? That's right. So, oh, so within two years, we went uh, quite quickly. Through that growth period from 2012 to 14, while we were building, we attracted about 11 customers. So clearly the demand was there for um, trade services mm -hmm. to um, look at exactly what our objectives were to, to provide a competitive edge for supply chain users. Um, so fast forward to a uh, couple of years ago, we were we submitted an application for funding again under this existing uh, capital uh, uh, mechanism that the federal government has, which is the National Trade Corridor Initiative, um, the fund, the National Trade Corridor Fund, and we were successful. Uh, we our application was for a twenty-eight million dollar bid, of which we're eligible for thirty percent when we were successful in a 9.2 million dollar grant mm. so 9.2 million of the 28 million dollar expansion is from the federal government and the other two-thirds are, are obviously from us 
And that will add 40,000 kilometers of track along. 40,000, on top of the 30 that you added before? Sorry, 40,000 feet of track. Oh. So, <laughs> so we'll go, we'll go from 32,000 feet to 72,000 feet. And we'll add additional infrastructure, so some utilities that are required. Uh, we'll do an export uh, uh, warehouse facility that we will build that's included in this, in this investment and this current build. Um, we started in uh, August of 2018, so we're almost on our one-year anniversary of being under construction. So we have a lot of dirt getting moved and rail being laid. It must and be something, actually. It's a lot there. of, ex yeah. it's very, very exciting, very exciting. So well, I want to check. Can we, yeah, can we show a picture of because these are the con. This is what is being built right now. No, or which so one? this is a that's a that's the full build out. I think this slide that you have here is is sort of an engineer drawing of of some of the expansion and the track that we're putting in and some of some of how it's going to look. So do we have current? Do we have any photos of the current S and then what it's going to so be? So if you so there's some pictures in our operations slides. So okay. so for instance, AT current operations. Yeah, so these are the current ones, correct? So even that. You know, we've got some updated pictures with additional rail that we've put in. Um, when you look at some of the mining operations, there were transloading product from truck uh, gets stored on our site. There's your there's your full your full build out. That's that's a, a fully built out Ashcroft. Uh, that would include 40 kilometers of internal track mm. off both CP and CN main lines. That's not, just to clarify, all happening in this build. That's subsequent phases. Oh, I see. But but that's that's a rendering of what it could look like okay. on a fully built-out basis in the years to come. And so... Oh, okay. So it's along the... So that's the... Well, I should know that river. What That's along... That's the Thompson River. That's the Thompson River. So the track. And then I actually want to... Again, I'm on my curious side. So these are two that's CN and CP. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Um, and then, so what all, in all this infrastructure, um, what is, this is, what what is all, this is the storage, I'm assuming, like, what what is all these? So, again, these this is a rendering, this is an idea, I, how this actually goal. ends up playing out. There's a few things that are sacrosanct. The train that you'll see in the middle of your screen it, the, with the containers on it is a rendering of a container train. Obviously, we see them going through every day, but mm -hmm. that's on the CP main line. Um, it up towards the left of the screen, uh, you can see a bridge coming across in mm -hmm. the in the um, in the bottom left kind of corner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the CP came through here in in 1885, mm -hmm. and the CN came along about 30 years later in in 1915 through this corridor. And across the river, you can see those sand hoodoos. Mm -hmm. Those are unstable sand hoodoos, several hundred feet tall, and they slough away every day into the river. So they knew that in 1915 when they were building the railroad. And where they're on either side of the river, all the way through this corridor, at one location, Ashcroft Terminal, they had to build a bridge to come onto the same side as the CP that was mm -hmm. already there. And at the far, far top, you can't see it in this rendering, but the, there's a bridge that goes back onto the other side. So it's just through our site that they're both on the same side of the river. Okay. And so what you see in the in the That's rendering pretty. that is sacrosanct is is the loop track. You notice a loop yeah. track off the CP. That's that's uh, twenty five thousand feet of twin loop track, and that allows you to build a train or take off a train in one full train uh, segment. So that really the 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 engineered thought is is about operations for the railroad's benefit to make sure right. that you're as efficient as possible again if you're not efficient for the railroad you it'll never work so right. um, being able to just get the train off and then deal with it on the inside while the main line stays open is is the critical component right and having the space to be able to do that is key that's but you and you actually have more land. You said you have more land even up beyond this. Yeah. So there's really no limit to what can be done over, let's say, a 50, 60 years. Well, I like the way you think. Um, that's exactly how we yeah. think. There's never a limit, except right. you will limit out uh, what right. that looks like. You know, yeah. I'd like I'd look forward to sitting here and in, in 50 years I'll be a hundred and <laughs> you know five. But we can sit here and Still have the conversation. Yeah, time. super young <laughs> and spry and loading rail cars. So, yeah. um, you know, but what what can you do? Uh, you can do all kinds of things. And I think this rendering shows you a 
diversified service offering amongst a diversification of the natural resource sectors and and really the ability to be that logistics hub, reduce congestion in the lower mainland and give customers options on how they want to ship their product. You mentioned about this, that you're building, that you currently are building a storage facility, right? You, you said, or, or sorry, a warehouse? Yeah, we have a small warehouse on site today that we use for some forestry product transloading and storage. Uh, we will be building uh, imminently a, um, a, a building to uh, store forestry product. That will be the focus of it. Um, and that will be for export to do just the container uh, stuffing and um, services that are required. Uh, we are looking at an import facility. We have designed up to a million square feet of import cross dock and warehousing facilities that we're looking at that will not be built in this phase under this mm -hmm. 28 million obviously okay. that it's a it but it can it, we are looking at, at adding and making those investments and and taking a look at what that would look like I want to touch uh, I want to get into some of the the acquisition that happened and everything like that um, which is is very interesting but I want to go back just quickly <coughs> to that to that funding um, because that's that's obviously a, a huge amount of money um, and then you also invested a huge amount of money to, to do all this development. And that really was for these, uh, you kind of touched on it, but I just wanted to dig into it a little bit more. That really was um, for the export to Asia um, and, and the U.S. as well, to be able to, so these companies could efficiently uh, export their product. Um, and that's really how that grant uh, or that investment from the government um, got green-lighted, because when you're in that location, it's pretty easy to, to showcase that you can make it that much more efficient. Is that that's right? Is that right? Yeah, the federal government has taken such an incredible leadership role, and certainly we've seen and been a part of it for the last um, eight years or so through through both baskets of funding and 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 certainly the this the the team of people that are leading our Ministry of Transportation, they understand mm -hmm. the challenges. They they really do. They understand the issues with getting goods to market and they understand the pinch points and the congestion mm -hmm. issues in the lower mainland and and they've they've really been moving in a direction of getting their finger on the detailed pulse of what's required to help facilitate all these trade agreements that are being worked on and ensure that we're competitive as a nation in overseas markets and we're diversifying our reliance on the United States and mm -hmm. we need to be able to help and work together to get these goods to market. So when you look at the, the funding basket of the NTCF, which is the National Trade Corridor Fund, um, it's it has certain key policy criteria. Um, obviously, the, you, 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 know, you have no chance on even being successful whatsoever if you don't hit them. We happen to hit them and we happen to be um, completely aligned in what we're doing, which is uh, increasing resiliency of the supply chain, looking at how you can create a comp comp competitive opportunities for shippers, for our Canadian producers, our natural resource producers, of which we're dependent on all of us mm -hmm. for uh, you know our livelihoods and having this great country that we live in. Um, and so there's a variety of key areas, increasing rail capacity, um, and and reducing congestion and finding more environmentally efficient ways to That's move goods. That's a big element yeah. of this train. Of course train it is. Transport. If you can take, if you can convert your uh, truck traffic, and you can again, as I said at the beginning, you know, convert those rubber moves to steel moves, you will reduce your car, your, your footprint, your, your emissions footprint. And, and that's, you know, well studied and well documented. And the Railway Association of Canada has done a lot of work and leadership in this as, as well as the railroads. And certainly our federal government is very aware. And so making strategic investments in the overall national supply chain that can do that, you're going to be limited because of our topography and our geography as a beautiful nation that we are. And this happens to be one critical location where you can have some impact. Yeah, I want I want to get back into the I want to get into a little bit of the history of, of when it got developed and everything. We got to take uh, again go break. back to our to our sponsors, <coughs> then we'll get into sure. to yeah. part two. Great. <laughs> Who do we got, Gowdy? Alrighty. 
So we've got also Streamline. Streamline um, offers a complete uh, package of fleet management solutions with three incredible products. That's NaviStream, their onboard intelligence and telematics system, NaviLink, their vehicle automation and IoT platform, and Dagama, their dynamic transportation management system. And you can visit Streamline at stti.com for the Streamline Advantage. We're also brought to you by Savannah Equipment. If you need everything from slurry pumps to jaw crushers to ball mills to conveyors, go to the leader in used mining equipment. And you can visit Savannah Equipment at SavannahEquipment.com where you will find more equipment every day. They got some product lines out. They're actually going to be doing a special. Oh, yes. So, so stay tuned for I them get as to, well. I get to dig into them. <laughs> Is that like a mining thing? Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Um, okay, well, I, I had a couple questions kind of going um, more into the history of um, of the company and a little bit more about you. Um, so let's start with kind of your role in the company. Yeah, um, my least favorite topic to talk about is me, but um, <laughs> least uh, favorite. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll I'll back up to sort of the history of the company. Okay. Um, uh, you know, my our family, my my father had a had a, a remanufacturing lumber facility down here in the Lower Mainland, not far from here actually, uh, across the bridge, oh. and okay. um, certainly understand understood and and was a part of through the seventies and eighties and and nineties the challenges with forestry products, the forestry industry, and getting forestry products to market. Uh, he right. certainly sold into Asian markets, North Africa, Europe, obviously a lot in the United States, and, and, and understood those challenges as an entrepreneur and as a business owner uh, in that space. Um, in the mid-90s, uh, he sort of shut down the mill uh, industry as, as uh, there was a, a, obviously a lot of changes in the industry. Uh, and focused on what he'd always been doing at the same time was a lot of industrial and commercial development and different different investments and projects in the Lower Mainland. An opportunity arose where the terminal, Ashcroft Terminal, uh, the land, the, the, the small amount of business, but basically it was land, came for sale. And, uh, you know, the story goes that he, he got a brochure on, on his desk come in like you do from all the agents, you know, the yeah. commercial guys, and, and back when they would distribute it. Uh, and hard copy, right? And uh, he threw it in the garbage, and because he thought, you know, um, it, who who would want 800 acres in in Ashcroft? Because <laughs> that's what was being advertised. And uh, picked it back up, uh, whether it was the next day or later that day, I, I can't re recall. But picked it back up and said, "Just a second, I think there was a rail line on on this oh. site." And he took a look at that, and he he realized it was followed the map and realized it was the the CP main line. And there's no advertisement about the CN mainline, but the CP mainline, it was clear, was there. And that's fine. It goes across the country, so what kind of difference yeah. does it make? But he noticed that there was a that 2,000 feet. There was a small s spur mm. off the mainline. Um, he phoned the agent and uh, asked what the other line he could see in the picture was, and the agent wasn't quite sure. So he hopped in his car and went up to Ashcroft, and, uh, you know, nothing like boots on the ground to see it for mm -hmm. yourself. And he drove up to a hill over on the other side. And, and the rendering that you have of a fully built out is is basically the vision he saw that day. It wow. was it was uh, um, it was a, a visionary move. Mm -hmm. He would absolutely hate it that I'm I'm talking about him like this, but he's a visionary, uh, no question about it. And he stood up there and he looked down and he saw a fully built out Ashcroft. And he thought to himself, "My God, you've got uh, you know both main lines. You've got every train, and the trains just started to go as he was standing there." And um, so that was really critical. So fast forward, you know, you put the site under contract, you do your due diligence. We uh, as a, as a, in that, at that, that time, a, a family owned company, he, he purchased the business or the, the property in 2004. And then we had this property that we needed to figure out how to add some value and, and figure out what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, knew a little bit about working with railroads, but not a lot, uh, he had. Um, and so together with, uh, my colleague who's still on the team, who I get the pleasure of working with all day, every day and have since then, uh, we started to look at, um, what we're doing and, and if it made sense. And it was, a a project off the side of a desk, uh, while we were doing a lot of other investments and operating businesses. And, and so that's, that's sort of the history. That's how it started. That's, that's the vision behind 
the the essence of what Ashcroft Terminal is is becoming. Right. And from starting back then, how the changes, in, well, with technology and just from, you know, back in the 90s to now, what are the major changes that you've seen? Well, uh, I joined the family business in 2004 after I was in the investment business prior to that for um, close to five years. And so we were looking at different uh, expansions. And so dad asked me to come join him. And, and um, we've seen a lot of changes since 2004. And I think one of the biggest change has been the cost of industrial land and the congestion in the lower mainland. And I think we were early for many years. Um, we were the irritating disruptor uh, that was not in, invited to sit around the table or in the club of logistics and supply chain solutions because people didn't understand what we did. Uh, stakeholders didn't understand what we did. Um, but as congestion increased and as industrial land constraints and as uh, the need for our services in Canada increase you get to a tipping point of uh, recognizing where maybe some more efficient planning could have taken place and it's not pointing fingers or here or there we're where we are now it's to our advantage that we've got an uh, inflated real estate market especially in the industrial space down here yeah. we'll take it it's congested uh, we have some of the best quality agricultural land in the lower mainland, especially in Delta. So you need to protect that. It's our yeah. view. Uh, but you also just need to do things that make sense. So being able to convert, for instance, traffic from truck onto rail closer to the source of the extraction of that product mm -hmm. makes some logical sense. What do you do with that? It's a lot of complexity to figure out how to deliver a service offering to a supply chain user. Regardless, you got to start somewhere. So we chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. And, and eventually, you know, these, these changes have become a big problem for everybody. And now you have to look at the ecosystem of the supply chain, not just what's happening here and there and that guy and this guy. And that. We have to, we truly have to look at it as an overall ecosystem, end-to-end -end solution. Yeah. So that's that lens um, that... I definitely feel our our founder um, certainly emphasized and was at the core of, of what we uh, took with us to work all day every day was where is that product being mined, being cultivated from, being produced from, and where is it going? Is it going to inland China? Is it going to India? Is it going to the United States? What are the costs to get it there? What are all the steps to get it there? And how can we play a small role in helping to um, create an advantage for the customer, the user, the producer who's paying for all of this. Mm -hmm. And and that's how we've built a business. Wow. Um, and Ashcroft started off like as a family business, correct? It did. Yeah. Um, is it, it's no longer just family business. So, no, we're not. We're, we're very excited that we're about to celebrate our one-year wedding anniversary with our, our new partners. Um, PSA International, PSA Canada, um, they are the largest container port operator in the world. I think you've got a slide of a map with some of the locations of yeah, their operations. It's, it's something. So uh, PSA is, is, is based in Singapore. They are, uh, I think, slide three there. Um, Oops, this one. Next nope, one no. down. Uh, sorry, oh. next one. There you go. There we oh. go. So, so they're based in Singapore. Um, in 2018, they moved 81 million containers through. 81 million. 81. Uh, yeah, we can definitely say that again. We moved 81 million containers since we're part of PSA, the PSA family now. Yeah. Um, through over, uh, uh, f well over 40 terminals and ports around the world. And so we're absolutely ecstatic to be a part of the PSA family and, and to have the leadership, the, the, the excellence in operational processes and procedures and infrastructure, the entire understanding of the entire supply chain, understanding of the, the, the components of all of the players that are involved in making decisions and being a disruptor. Um, well, we couldn't ask for a better partner. So we're, we're absolutely thrilled. Uh, so we, uh, we did that uh, deal. We sold 60%. Uh, we're still own as a family 40%. 
And uh, I've stayed on as the Chief Commercial and Corporate Affairs Officer, working with our new management team and and our, our un, under our new our new entity. So very exciting times. What uh, what does this partnership entail for the future? Well, I think it allows us. You know, when we when we sat down, and I have to go back to, our, to answer that question. When we sat down and said, "How do we build that out in that mm. right. pretty picture no, yeah. or something along those lines? How do we do that?" Because we're you know, like some might think we just fell off the turnip truck as a, as a family, but, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you build it out? Well, you build it out by getting out of your own way. And usually entrepreneurs don't know that, don't realize it until it's maybe too late. We didn't want to let that happen. We recognize that in order to have an impact, you have to add good quality value to supply chains, to all of the players involved, again, to the railroad, to the customer, which is at the forefront of everything we do. And then obviously you need the shipping lines. You need all these service providers to support the customer's needs. And you need a location that makes sense. So if you have all of that, what do you do? Well, you need to have a global impact. And certainly, you know, back to your question about um, some of the changes, that lens of understanding the need for end-to-end solutions Mm -hmm. in the supply chain is at the forefront of what PSA is doing. And they're doing that through their cargo solutions um, investments and how they look at that within their network. Uh, they, you know, we didn't know who PSA was when we decided to go and look for a partner. We didn't, we didn't, frankly. Um, but there was a press release that they put out in about 2016 where this company based out of Singapore had invested in an inland network of terminals in China mm. and had taken a stake in the railroad links with the Chinese government. And we thought, who is that company? Because that's the kind of thinking that's required to build out inland ports and solutions mm-hmm. in the right locations like Ashcroft Terminal. And that really spawned the interest for us to really understand and try to think about the world through their eyes and what they're looking to do and how they're looking to add value in the supply chain. It, it, it can't just be about throughput on a marine terminal anymore. It has to be about what's inside the box. Where is that product going? Where did that product come from? What are all of the challenges? And what we realized as we started talking to PSA in Singapore was that they, that was how they wanted to build. Their, that was the future. And it was aligned with our vision, although much smaller. Um, <laughs> and we thought big at the time. It was, it was, um, it was uh, a lot of alignment in looking at the full ecosystem. And so we went from 21 employees uh, at this time last year uh, to 33,000 colleagues globally mm-hmm. so um, we're, we're absolutely thrilled with understanding the the expertise we get to share and how we're going to build this out together how much of a a difference is it because we've had other guests on the show um, specifically one that he had worked for a big one of the one of the biggest shipping companies in the world just huge one they um, and he now works for a smaller company and he said like that that massive global company really it, it it taught him systems so what he's doing now is he's actually managing a smaller uh, a bigger company's investing in a smaller company so he's managing getting that one off the ground and it just working for that huge global organization helped him understand systems and operations like you said about visions and sort of this this global way of uh, interconnecting everything together and that. It helped him understand now he can bring that to the smaller company. How much of a impact just does it have on your own vision and just your understanding of things when you go from sort of, you know, that 30-person company and, you know, a vision that you think is big and then all of a sudden that global vision company comes in. How much does that affect just the way you, you, know, you walk into the office and, and think of what you're doing in a day? Just how much does it affect it? Uh, significantly, significantly, and and it's it can it's a balancing act to figure out, and it is a balancing act for big companies too. Mm-hmm. You know, large companies don't want to stifle entrepreneurial uh, fire. You don't want to do that. But entre- entrepreneurial fire needs the structure of a big company in order to grow. So not everyone is cut out for making the moves and doing that. I think certainly personally my experience having worked for big companies before, I had a taste of how things needed to be structured and what needed to happen. I think we're business people. That's our 
background. So we recognized that there were limitations with the kind of procedures and processes and, and controls and, and mechanisms you can put in place. And we were seeking that. So it's been, it's been, um, very, uh, uh, exciting to now see that the world's largest container port operator is bringing their systems into helping us structure our business. What a thrill. Mm -hmm. And it is a thrill because whether it's the finance side and the processes and procedures and accounting that get put in place that are absolutely fantastic and what every business should have, um, bringing in that global expertise of excellence to handle that when you look at operations and when you look at safety, mm -hmm. you don't get to be um, moving 81 million containers around the world without a safety culture. And now bringing that, we thought we had a good safety culture, and I'm proud of the, the work that our team has done in that. But now to really take it on a global scale and achieving global excellence, we have, we will always have work to do on safety. You can, you may, uh, that'll never end. But to have that global, um, uh, uh, resource base to be able to tap into of our, our brothers and sisters, our colleagues around the world that, that we can bring in. So it's very exciting and it's needed and it, it has to happen. And you have to bring in that structure in, in order for a small business to grow to a medium sized business in order to go to a, a large business. But you do need to find the thinking internally that brings that entrepreneurial lens that mm. makes you look at the entire ecosystem and makes you think as a disruptor and then you have to balance it. And, and that's something we're very, very focused. We're all very respectful and understanding of the need for both. And um, certainly we've welcomed structure with open arms um, and uh, we've welcomed new colleagues with open arms and we look forward to continuing to, to build this business together for the next 40 years. I'm, I'm very interested. There's a part we wanted to talk about in the, I, I put it under partnerships and, you know, but there's within that there's, you know, there's customers and clients and on, and everything <laughs> that goes to service providers. And, and I wanted to, but first it is that partnership element that a lot of people watching the show probably have companies. They'd probably love to, at some point, sell to a big company and, you know, that sort of thing. What is it like? Were you involved in that first, uh, that those first stages of that? You know, the first meeting with a company of that size and scale. Um, you know, and I, I, I mean, set that size and scale. I mean, you had a, you have a very unique market position. So there's a lot of demand, uh, and a lot. I'm sure there was a lot of interest from them. Um, but what was that? What's that initial? You know, those initial few months of sitting down with a company like that, and you're going to talk about this huge acquisition that, uh, in your case, your own father had built up. So there's a there's a personal element to it. There's a vision. There's an entrepreneurial element to it. And all that comes in. Now you're sitting in a meeting with a, a company from Singapore. What is that? What is that? A lot of fun yeah. is what that is. That is a lot of fun. Um, you know, we spent about a year uh, uh, as uh, preparing for what we what we call our, our strategic process, which was to go kind of live with targets of who we wanted to go and contemplate and start discussing and and maybe go on a couple of dates and do the tang. And I mean all this <laughs> not literally figuratively. Yeah. Um, and and so we spent a year uh, that that was the full time role. And, and my, my role through that period was working certainly along, right alongside my, my dad as, as CEO and president. I, I was managing director. So we were, we were working through that. We were interviewing who was going to represent us in the marketplace. That's also an interesting process. Um, and it became very, very clear that as we were running that, that A, we needed uh, somebody to represent us, certainly, to help us guide us, because we don't have all the answers and aren't going to pretend we do, about what this is supposed to look like in an investment banking world. But secondly, we spent that year focused on how to, how to uh, convey our message about the vision, yeah. A, and B, understanding all the supply chain users in the world that think about having an impact for their customers that's that's about the customer first and and so when we when we finally launched we had a list of companies uh, we did not go out for an auction bid we did not uh, we did not approach or, or or market to any pension funds infrastructure funds hedge funds we did have some interest from that sector I'm sure but 
um, you know, as, as Bob's always said, you know, it's economics 101 when you're going to add value and grow a business. It's land, labor, capital. And, and funds have a very important role in the world, for sure. Uh, in this asset at this time, it wasn't the right role because they just bring capital. We needed, we had the land and we needed expertise. We needed all the structure that we just talked about. Yeah. We recognized that. And so we we looked at all the users and we looked globally and, you know, lived on airplanes and in airports and, and went and talked to people. And, and you very quickly would understand whether or not a, a company um, understood the opportunity and understood about what the customer's needs were and then looked at your small P partners, your service providers, and how, how you're going to work together, how you're going to build it out and share a vision. Um, I will say that, you know, uh, in a in a trip to Singapore, uh, the the very senior fellow that I met with, he he understood it in about 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. And 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 that really was spurred a much more robust discussions and led to saying I do a year ago. So um, the whole process is a lot of fun. I, I had a lot of fun doing it. It's interesting you say the wedding, the date, because it, it kind of sounds like you're saying there is that element of it, it doesn't. That those initial meetings, you know quite quickly if it's at least worth pursuing. Was that a sense you got? Absolutely. Oh well, you always do. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's salesmanship. But yeah, you get a you get a smell, a sense, or or a very direct um, uh, clarity that it's it's of interest for the for the uh, the investor, the prospective partner, the the customer, whoever it is you're doing the deal with, that that they're interested, that that makes sense. And and that was very clear right away. And and so, you know, those discussions got a lot of they, they turned a lot very fun too, because mm -hmm. you're having um you've got such knowledgeable people in the organization. You know, you're sitting in a in a boardroom in Singapore, who the heck is Ashcroft Terminal? Like <laughs> where are you? Yeah. But when you get to the people that understand the importance right. of the supply chain, they have a sense of what the challenges are in different markets. Yeah. We were the first investment that PSA had ever made into North America. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, I want to move down the line uh, because then you get your service. Now, you got CP and CN. They're they're running right right through you. Yep. And uh, I mean, those are two major companies as well. They are. So you have to have a relationship with them uh, is that a direct relationship how does that that does that work it's absolutely direct it's yeah. on the ground and it's at all levels it's it's at all levels it's working with account managers it's working with executives it's working with operators it's very important to understand the needs of the railroad it's very important to understand the constraints that your service provider is going to have as you're going to grow what kind of infrastructure is ideal for them what kind of rail the quality of the product that you're putting in the ground how you're going to service them how you're going to service trains and and we've seen a difference in in the railroads over the years, as you will, with leadership changes. So we've certainly seen priorities shift somewhat, but there's an underlying constant of what's required, whether it's grade or curvature, the design, the operations, but then understanding how they build their trains and how do they access and where are the congestion points. And so very important. It's a direct relationship and it's a, it's a daily relationship. And, um, you know, like any relationship, you, you go through misunderstandings and then you go through figuring out how to get closer. And then that's what you look to aim to do every day and that's our obligation that's what we need to do in order to best serve our customers is have a very close relationship so we're always looking at ways that we can improve that and add value to the railroad supply chain that is the key so are they actually part of the i, ho I hope this is sub something you're allowed to talk about is um are they actually part of the design of it too that do they get involved to that point to say if you had it this if you had this type of design, it would be helpful for our railway system. Does it go that far? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, w ultimately, it's we design the the site and work, but the people that are working with us on the engineering side, designing the terminal, have been designing for the railroads for right. 40 years. I mean, you go to the best in the business and you use uh, those engineers who understand and have worked in the railroad or have, have been a part of that for a long time. They know what works and what doesn't work from an engineering perspective. It has to match sort of your operational plan. So we right. work closely with the railroads as we're developing and expanding to make sure that they're very aware as to how we look to service that. So those are all key parts of the growth you will always have as you're growing 
uh, a facility serviced by class one railroads in this country. What's the uh, what's the actual business model? Um, like, who are the the at the end of the day, who are the customers that are are paying for your service? Yeah, well, that's the most important. When it comes down to the, it. Uh, <laughs> that's the bottom line um, and the top line and everything else in between. They're the customers. They're the shippers. So they're the oil and gas producers. They're the forestry producers. They're the mining producers. They're the agricultural producers. They, the, the customer is the producer. So and the mines themselves. The mining companies themselves. Is the customer. Okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're working. So you have you have a working relationship. So you're... Your service providers are the, are the bringing it through, but the actual customer is, who's using CN and CP and, and all that, those are the mines and the forestry, the logging companies and all that. They're the ones that are actually using your facility. They're the ones that are, um, they, 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 so they, they would own or lease and control their rail car fleets. So they make supply chain uh, decisions, the producers do. Uh, they make supply chain decisions as mm. to how they want to transload, where they want to transload, what works, what doesn't work. They work with us about the service offering. And then their other service provider, we provide a location and we provide track or we provide whatever the services the customer needs. And then they choose the rail line to service that mm. product in and out. And so we have a lot in common with the railroad as far as the fact that we share a customer. Uh, but our our business model is that our relationship, as far as the uh, growth and and decision making for uh, using Ashcroft, is directly with with the producer. Oh, okay. We we have that relationship. Right. And are they? Is there additional input from? Uh, I'm I'm sure you have major cu- uh, customers that are continually using your facility. Do they get input as well into the design? Are you going to them and say this is what we're thinking to do? Does it go that far with them? Uh, well, certainly we like to make sure that our customers, um, we're always very open and transparent with everything we do with our customers, um, and our users. Uh, certainly if there's specific programs for a specific product, absolutely. We will work together on a piece of engineering on the site. Um, generally it's a, it's more of a, here's what we're doing so that we can, uh, uh, we're able to provide this kind of capacity to you. For instance, if you're looking for, you know, rail car storage, we want to give an understanding of how, how we operate also so that they understand how we're working with the railroad. That's very important since they have a relationship with the railroad as well, so that there's full open transparency and alignment and the operational advantages that, and then we deal with any challenges head on together so that, you know, we're, we're, everything is, is all, it's always about communication, of course, and, and keeping that communication very, very clear and, and um, making sure that the customer's needs are met. If a customer or shipper would like to uh, see a, a dedicated piece of infrastructure or facility or something on our site, then absolutely we, we'd be working together on that engineering to make sure that it, whatever they need is, is to their spec and, and we'll, that's shoulder to shoulder. Right. Yeah, you uh you're very clear you don't like to talk about yourself, but I am going to ask a question in this because you have so many people you're working with. You've, you know, a, f- a father-daughter relationship working professionally. You work for large companies, I think back east or out here. No, yeah, no, I worked for an investment firm based in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, you know, you're doing an acquisition with or or you were acquired by uh, you know, a a company out of Singapore. Um, all the service providers and the customers. So you've, I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of them directly. Through all of that, what is, do you sort of have a approach of how you deal with people? I'm, I'm sure it varies depending on who it is. But um, obviously you've had a big part in, in where this has gone. Um, what is sort of your approach to dealing with people and how have you, how have you sort of developed that approach? Well, everything you do takes a team. And I can tell you that we have one of the most incredible teams I could ever dream of working with. And we're adding to it. And we're adding uh, extremely uh, uh, qualified and good people to our team. So uh, the approach, first and foremost, is to surround yourselves as, as, uh, 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 as cheesy as it sounds, but critical with people that are way smarter than you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thrilled to be able to have people that I try to keep up with every day. I think the approach on the ground, if, if, if 
the team determines that there's some value in me uh, doing a piece of the of the work that requires me to have the, those meetings and those opportunities, then um, I'll do whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. I had my own company, first company when I was eight years old. So I, I, I'm an entrepreneur, a business person, and I think it's in the blood. I'm, I'm nowhere near the entrepreneur my father is, but I certainly aspire to think strategically, think about value add to the customer, to the buyer, to the user of that product. And that's just something that I've uh, got ingrained in, in my DNA and hopefully something that I'm trying to ingrain in my children's DNA is the importance of understanding where where uh, where you're adding value and you're thinking about the other person first. You got to always think about what the customer needs first. Mm-hmm. Don't think about what you're selling. Think about what they need. Find out what they need. Find out if you, you might not be able to help them. So then authentically walk away and you can't help them. But yeah. find out what you can do for them and then figure out how you can add value on a long term. This isn't a burn and churn. Mm-hmm. You're not going over and trying to get a customer for the next year or two years. You're trying to build a relationship, an authentic relationship through earned credibility for the next 25 to 40 years. And that is absolutely critical to how I run my life and how I hope that comes across in in, in business. And and I, I wouldn't do it any other way. I'm, I'm glad uh, I'm glad you kind of went that, when you, you unpackage it, it struck me that, um, honestly, I haven't read many of them. I've tried to get through a couple of these, like, leadership uh, books and that. And I find a lot of them, it talks a lot about personality. And some of the pointers, and I as I've watched, I've dealt with a lot of people, I go, well... You know, you're saying to be this way, but people's personalities are different. And it's very, it's a hard thing to change your actual personality. But in so much, if, if I, when you're referencing your father, the way you're talking about dealing, I, I keep hearing words like value. And I think regardless of personality, when you can come into a room and you know you have value and you want to provide that value, it bypasses so many obstacles because that relationship is built on something that is valuable, that people can see where it is, and you can get by so much. Um, you know, I just when I was hearing you talk about that, I, I've you just put it into words, sort of what I've thought for quite a long time, but you sort of packaged it together in a way that really actually made sense. Because, again, peop- there's di- lots of different people that watch a show. And when somebody comes on and says, well, you know, you just need to, you know, you need to have lots of energy when you come into a room, and the person's sort of a, uh, We've had some really reserved guests on. They're not going to come into a room with a lot of energy. But anybody can come into a room with value if they've got something that can can be a foundation for a a long-term relationship. I think that's just a huge thing, especially entrepreneurs that are trying to sort it all out. If they can start from that place, it's amazing what you can accomplish. Absolutely. And I think remembering it's not about you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but exactly. That's uh, that's something we can all be reminded of in every aspect of our lives. Oh, I yeah. think, <laughs> yeah. uh, from the minute we wake up in the morning to the minute we go to bed at night, it's not about you. Yeah. It's about the people around you. It's about your impact on other people. It's about the kind of person that you are. It's about, it's about adding value in other people's lives, mm-hmm. and that should translate into how you look after your customers. And and that's the reality of how we've built business. And we've had some, you know, uh, uh, not in Ashcroft, but it, along the way, we've certainly, as entrepreneurs do, you only learn from your mistakes and we've made our fair share and don't plan on making many more. Um, but that's because maybe you didn't think about the other person or you didn't think about the impact or the value, whatever it is. But every everybody in business makes mistakes. Everybody does that. And then you use all that to go and find the kind of relationship that you want to have and how you're going to grow together and structure something that adds value and and that's what we looked for in a partner and that's what we we got Mm -hmm. and uh certainly now we can add more value to our customers yeah well thank you for coming on the show i mean um there was a lot of value added here i I hope uh especially i know for our audience but for sure for for me um so thank you for joining us thank you thanks for having us much appreciated thank you (laughs) Uh, do we have a camera live? Um, uh, let's ask. <laughs> Rory. <laughs> We've got Rory today. We can't be too serious on the show or nobody's going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Are we good? Yeah, I'm not sure about the What? What? Oh. oh. We're going to sign. Okay. We're going to sign We're off now. Is this rec- is this camera recording? Okay. Yes. Okay. We're good. Thank we'll you for out. watching the show. That uh, <coughs> that was a lot of fun. Yes, um, it was. 
And I'm always biased when it's in an area where I'm from. Then I just have even just that little extra fun <laughs> with it. So, um, yeah, thank you for watching the show. Gaudi, where can everybody uh, watch us, follow us, like us, comment? Um, including including negative comments. We're okay with We're uh, okay feedback. with that. Um, you know, anything you'd like. <laughs> watch this open a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, no, definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel, um, Crownsman Partners. Um, we've got all our episodes, 32 episodes all on there, plus highlights if you don't want to watch the whole thing. If there's something specific, we've got highlights on there as well. You can listen to us on all... Let's see, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, CastBox, Breaker, Pocket Cast, just an infinite amount of uh, platforms. Uh, and you can also uh, follow us, uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all at Crownsman P. If you want to be a sponsor or a guest on the show, email us, info at crownsman.com. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for hosting with me today, Gowdy, and keeping everybody organized. I... Uh, I must be doing something right because I've surrounded my pe myself with people that are smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for watching the show, everybody. We will see you on the next one. <laughs>